sorry, it was just a question that occurred to me as I was listening to that reading. The implication being that you all have one, and we need it. We'll come back to that. So, I'm starting a, a series that we'll sort of interject with, like we've got an annual meeting next week, and one or two all-age gatherings. Uh, but it's going to take us up to Easter, and our, as I wrote this week, I want to explore this notion of being good mentors. That may seem way away from you. A mentor is simply somebody who's a trusted friend, an advisor, somebody who helps, what's the matter? <clears throat> so, mentoring. I believe we're all mentors, irrespective of whether we know it, because people observe us and follow us. In fact, that's the nature of humans, to follow another. Children, basically, behavior is learned. It's mimicked. It's what they see around them. That's kind of quite challenging for us as parents. But I think the, the Christian call is the call to be intentional in discipling, teaching, imparting, encouraging, being an example. As Paul would say, follow me as I follow Christ. That's the norm. That's not just for the super apostles. I think it's for all. It's being a friend. My journey, and I'm, and I'm looking at this first, I'm going to look at six different qualities. The first one is self-awareness. Because I would say I've been on this journey from self-ignorance to a little bit of self-awareness as I move into the fourth quarter of my life perhaps. Who knows? Because it takes a lifetime. I think for a lot of my younger life, I kind of just lived in the moment, not really fully aware of who I am, what it was like to be around me. I had my own perspective on those things, somewhat rose-colored, and um, how I affected other people. I've come to realize the importance of having good, safe relationships in my life, people that I love and who love me and trust me, safe relationships, whether that's Carol, she's not very well today, why she's not here, friends, colleagues that I've worked with. I've recognized that there's a need for feedback in my life. I kind of, you know, God seemed to have his hand on me and as a fairly young person, I had a, a, a managerial, I ran a development group uh, and I, they would send me on these management training things and always part of that you would get feedback about who you are. I did not like to look at those things because I liked the picture I'd made of myself and didn't want to change it. The reality is I'd struggled with facing up to truth. But nevertheless, this is the means of freedom, that we actually embrace truth, reality. When I was a young man, um, in fact, when I was a teenager, I wanted to join the Merchant Navy to get away. And my dad had to fill out a form about me, and the only thing he told me he wrote on there was that I was immature. He was probably right, but I thought he was wrong. Hence my immaturity. I remember early on in ministry, somebody saying to me, Mike, seems like we're never good enough for you. Man, did that hurt. But I had to hear it because they were missing an important message. I've been challenged by Carol often on my tendency to minimize pain. Sometimes hers, but usually mine. Because pain is pain and needs to be comforted. This reality of struggling with feedback, with struggling with hearing the truth as other people experience it around me. You know, love doesn't let us get away with that. Because love makes it no longer about me. This is the call of Christ. This is the call of humanity, I would suggest. came across this quote from a, a pastor I've enjoyed reading in the past, a guy called Pete Scazzaro, wrote a book called Emotionally Healthy Church, another emotionally healthy spirituality. He said this, What is perhaps most tragic is that my dad's spirituality and loyal involvement in his church 
He was the one member of his family, actually, who had any genuine faith. He said it had little impact upon his marriage and parenting. The way he functioned as a father, husband, and employee reflected his culture and family of origin rather than the new family of Jesus. You see, the influence and the shaping of our family of origin as we grow up is so powerful and significant. Even though we can receive Christ, experience the Spirit, have the promise of newness of life, we can live out of the old, and many do, to the detriment of the church and its witness, I believe, and to the sadness of God who wants us to live into the fullness of what He created us for. I wonder how his dad would have responded to feedback. Now Paul says in Romans, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us are broken. All of us are incapable of living up to the demands of the law and of the holiness of God. And God has not left it like that because he's made provision. That's what we sang and celebrated the cross. Such that the one, Jesus did fulfill the requirements of the law. He is the righteous one. He is the one who is without sin. And yet somehow my rebellion is put upon Him, taken from me, and I'm given His goodness. And that is true for all of us as we turn to Christ. At which point one or two of us have a little dance on the inside. And woohoo! I mean, people, this is love. This changes us. This removes the stain and shame of sin. And Jesus came that we would know that we are forgiven, that we are the beloved, and that we would walk in this newness of life. For the new creation has begun now. It's not all about heaven. It has begun now because God is recreating all things. But it is hard and not easy to live into that new life. Let's be honest. Look around. Look within. That's what we're doing. A key part of what it means, I think, to be a a mentor, to, in a way, help others and, in a way, parent younger people in the faith in becoming more like Jesus, because that's our goal, is, in a way, to be a mirror to them. That's what relationships provide for us. Because in relationship, we get a revelation of who we are. Is that not true? Because we get reaction to ourselves. And the closer, the greater, very often, the reaction. But we don't like mirrors. It's interesting, even in our brains now we've discovered there are mirror neurons. It's why, you know, you see somebody yawn, you start to yawn yourself. It's quite literally God has created us to reflect back what we see. It's extraordinary. Now, James says this about the Word of God, which also serves as a mirror. Now, It's a written word and we're to be invested in it, but it's a word that's meant to take flesh. It's to be incarnated in us. That's why in relationship we become a mirror because of the word in us. The word that became flesh. Jesus himself. See how that works? Well, anyway, it's a good thing. James says this, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, he goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, they will be blessed in what they do. This is the invitation to receive that reflection and remain. That's why Jesus says, I think, in part, abide in me. Remain in me. In your imperfection. Allow me to 
change you as I reflect back your imperfection, but without condemnation, without shame, but with loving invitation to let it go. You're all thinking about Frozen, aren't you now? No? I haven't seen Frozen 2. I had my granddaughter singing a song from it to me, which was delightful. Just let it go. So I believe, and we've been sharing this with you, through the Word of God, which is the living Word, but also through one another, in, in us, you know, we become letters, Paul talks about. You're my, you're my letters of introduction, because you're being changed by the Word, and through the working of the, the Christ, the Spirit, the, the anointing of God within us, we are invited to become more self-aware and more grateful and courageous with what God is doing. So we're going to look at a few areas to increase our self-awareness. And this is not just a Sunday morning. I'm encouraging you to, to get with somebody and talk about this stuff. Have one or two relationships where you're willing to go here. We've just sang about opening our hearts. Everything's out on the table. But we walk out of here and we don't live like that. And we need to more so. Firstly, childhood influences. Be real about this. Your father and mother. Some of you didn't have a present father and mother. I've sat with so many people. It's not the norm nowadays, sadly, but it's God's design and desire. However, there were, there were strengths and growth areas in your parents. Let's be honest. My dad was a very faithful, hard-working um, provider, but he was a stranger to me. My mum was quite affectionate, but there was insecurity and a need to control and manipulate too many things. What about you? What about yourself as you look back in those early years? What did you like about yourself? And what did you dislike? I'm kind of tall, and I was tall at about 9 or 10, but I had a very late growth spurt, and I hated that. It meant I developed late. It meant I experienced a lot of ridicule, and I hated that about myself. Didn't really like the teenage years that much. Um, I got busy and involved in a lot of sports and stuff to distract because I was really very, you know, not encouraged and helped to be self-aware. And certainly not self-aware through intimate relationships that were safe. How about you? How, does your ch- how do your childhood experiences, the things that shaped you, how do they affect you in your relationships today? Early on in our marriage, Carol would sometimes say to me, um, what have you been doing today? She genuinely cared about my day and wanted to enter in. What I heard was, Have you worked hard enough? Have you been busy enough? What do you think you've been up to? Because I heard those tapes before. And they held me back. They made me angry. Here's somebody wanting to care for me, and it made me angry. I hid it sometimes. How about you? Sometimes it's the way we experience conflict in the home. How that's dealt with shapes the entire of our lives, the entire rest of our lives. How we handle differences, either within the family or with other families and people around us. How do we respond to those things? If there's anything in your life that that you could magically change, such that it was different, what would it be? I've shared with you, I think, for me, the one thing I wish had been different was that I'd had a, a close relationship with my dad, that I'd known him and he'd known me. I think that would have given me courage, given me self belief, confidence. And I struggled with those things. What about you? What would you change if you could? And take a moment and share that with somebody. Oh my, are you kidding me? You want me to talk about something that vulnerable? Maybe there's nothing. Go on, just take a moment. 
Is there something in your upbringing that you wish could have been different? Or that you could go back and somehow magically change? This is a part of self-awareness, people. We're not just talking theory here. All right, let's just uh, draw those conversations to a close. Thank you for your engagement around that. Appreciate your courage. But, you know, if we genuinely get involved in any kind of relationship, but I think particularly where we're trying to grow in our spiritual lives, it's inevitable we're going to have conversation around our early formative years. They are so shaping of us. They, are, they don't have to be defining forever. That's the beauty of the power of God and the love of God. However, there will be tension and battles within that. And being known um, in that place is an important part of having others know how to pray for you and how to love you well. Now, secondly, <clears throat> taught about these last year, the top ten relational needs. These are the ways we love one another. I asked, some of, well, I asked many of you to take an assessment, figure out which are your top needs. Does anyone remember those? Well done. We spend a lot of time with some people <laughs> because we want to bless them so much. For those of you who've forgotten about relational needs or certainly forgotten about your own, you know, that's kind of, I understand that. Sometimes that's symptomatic of, I'm kind of not sure I want to go there. But again, I would suggest these are significant ways because when people give to you in these ways, it makes a huge difference. And knowing about these are important to you. And knowing not just what they are, but what that sounds like, looks like, how somebody has recently met that need so that you can thank them for that. Though if you remember, my, my top need is attention. <laughs> and it's not that kind of, you know, I've got to be the centre of attention, but I do value it when people kind of enter my world. They take interest. They ask questions. They want to spend time with me. Go out and, um, I mean, just talk, hang out, do something together. That's meaningful for me. Knowing those things about yourself, that's how you're going to foster closer relationships. I think that's how you're going to become more like Jesus, I would suggest. These are the things that remove aloneness in our lives. They're a part of our mutual dependence. We talked about, Paul talked about, uh, you know, we're, we're one body, we belong to one another. And there should be no need in the body because we're, we're aware of each other's needs and our giving to one another. They're the things that build connection. When we proactively give and receive according to these needs, we feel connected closer. This is an expression of who we are. It's what it means, I say, to give and receive love. Because it's sacrificial, it's costly. It's biblical, it's New Testament. Paul says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. What helps you is knowing the needs. Sometimes we can discern those things, but sometimes we get that wrong. Sometimes we're clueless. We need help. We're not all that intuitive. Help us out, ladies, here. But you see, the starting point is, do you know yourself what your needs are? And the difference it makes when you're blessed by people giving. And then, do you communicate that? Starting inviting others to move and give in those ways. This is what creates a sense of gratitude. This is what creates a sense of, my goodness, how wonderful this life is. It's not all about pie in the sky when you die. As I like to say, it's meat on your plate while you wait. It's now. The kingdom is now. Thirdly, thought about this. Your emotional cup. This is a biggie, guys. What's in your cup? 
What are you feeling? Not that everything is about feelings or feelings are to dominate or dictate to us. However, left to themselves, they will. They have that much power over us. You know, we like to talk about the emotional cup. When we are controlled by fear, when we live with anxiety and worry, it can lead us to demand or selfishly take from people because we're so afraid if we don't do that, we'll get nothing. And we act antisocially and often we're unaware that we're doing that. There's a lack of self-awareness and, and a lack of getting to some of the root issues which are required. And the way we remove fear from our cup, perfect love. Peter says, cast your anxiety upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. He loves you. He wants to give to you. Why are you worrying when you have a God who's caring, loving, provides for you, with you? We've lost sight of that. And if we don't take note of our fear and the behavior that spills out because of it, other people will. And they'll avoid us, sadly, often. Shame, that top one, or self-condemnation, and again, this is often fueled by, in early childhood, you know, we take on truths. They're lies, but because of our relational experiences and our aloneness, we, we, we get disoriented and we believe lies as truth. And one of the truths we believe that isn't true is that we're no good. And every time that gets reinforced by making a mistake, messing up, there we go again. I knew I was no good. And we pull back. We withdraw. We disengage. We don't offer ourselves either in relationship or in ministry because we think we've got nothing to give. Where does that come from? It's in our mind. It's lies we believe, fueled by shame in our hearts, which is also in our brain, by the way. And those things, the light is not in there because that's not biblical. That's not Jesus' truth. That's your truth. It's a real truth and it has power. And left to itself, it kind of takes us out the game. And I see it too often. And it's a travesty. Because everybody is worthy. As Paul says, everyone has something to bring. Everyone is loved equally, of infinite worth and value. But we don't always believe that. I think I've mentioned before, seeing a young mom say to me, I will never trust another human being. Where does that come from? A lot of pain. A lot of abuse and letdown. That's, that's like Piscazero's dad. That's the old family. And we have a new a new family that we're invited, which is different. Do we know that? Pride, you know, <laughs> that's probably my challenge, but pride means we, we kind of go it alone. We're, we're the sort of the lone rangers. That's all right. I'm good. I've got it. Don't need your help. Not a problem. We remain somewhat aloof from and usually above. And yet very often it comes out of missing approval, missing affection. Actually, I think for me, very much those things, particularly from my dad, but just not having that awareness that it's, it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to depend upon. That's actually a virtue. That's a strength. According to the new family, hey, my family, no way is that a strength. So I live like that. But it's not nice to be around. It's hard to connect with. People seem distant, remote. Don't know how to help them, love them, give to them. So, learn to recognize what you're feeling the emotions you're experiencing. You need help with that. Try to understand what's the root of that. Why is that there? Why is that so strong? Why do you get angry so quickly? So, Because it's not usually just in the moment. It's also earlier pain that has not been resolved that is driving some of that. And you've got to learn to connect with that through self-awareness and share it and talk to somebody about it so that they can comfort you and help you receive truth. 
We all need that. Remember we talked about the check engine light? Emotions are a bit like that. Don't obscure the view. Don't just ignore it. Don't drive on regardless. Something else will, something more serious is going to happen. One of the things I've encouraged all of you, but certainly the men, the question, how are you feeling? This is not an icebreaker. This is a very vulnerable and intimate question because it's inviting you to get in touch with what's really going on under the surface where most of you is. <laughs> in terms of our identity, you know, we're like the icebergs. We only show them the nice little pointy bit at the top. And there's all this stuff underneath. And we're afraid, we're ashamed, we'll fill in the blank. But we need not be. We're all sinners. What makes you think you're any better sinner than I am? We don't have to prove ourselves. We cannot. God has. And he empowers us to be real, to be honest in our brokenness. And yet many people live such hidden lives as I did for so long. This is freedom. This is, this is, this is what God set us free for, to be engaged, to love. I mean, you know, we're called here to build loving, intimate relationships. That's it. To value people. To demonstrate to them that they're worthy. To express the life of God from inside me, which is love. That's what it's about. And therefore, if things are a little bit off kilter and we're not connecting, we're not close, there's some diagnostic work needed. Some freedom work, probably. And it's often in this realm of the emotion. Anyway, I'll press on because I'm taking too long. You know, there's positive stuff to be aware of. The way we respond to truth, new truth, this takes work. Jesus says, you can't handle all the truth right now, boys. However, when the spirit of truth comes, he will lead you into all truth. In other words, it's a process. It's as we're engaged, I think, in community, in relationships, we start to see truth. Because truth isn't information. It's not sort of rational stuff. It's relational truth. Jesus says, I am truth. He didn't come with a body of truth. He came with a body of truth in himself. And we know through experience, not just through reading. In fact, you read all this book and be totally familiar with it and not know the truth. Many are. Many make theology a light, their life's work and do not know God. So truth has to be received in relationship. Because it is about relationship and love. I don't think it's possibly, possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. It's not possible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. Because your immaturity will hold you back and will trigger antisocial behavior. God has created us as complex, more than just rational beings. Now, I am, please don't hear me right. I'm not undermining the importance of rational truth. I'm just saying in and of itself, it's insufficient. Truth is to be experienced. The word says this, Paul says, If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. It's all done. All the old has gone, has it? In reality? In God's eyes, yes. Once you were an enemy of God, you were a sinner. And now he says, you're my friend, I love you, you belong. But Paul also says this, in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. How can sin be at work within him if the old has gone? Because sin is a power. Sin is a reality. Sin is very often tied to those old experiences and the thoughts that they trigger. 
And, and that's why I think Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In community, we've got to learn to appropriate truth in relationship. Unfortunately, we've appropriated truth through broken relationships very often, through abusive relationships, through distant relationships, through inspecting relationships, through never measuring up relationships. And it's hard for us to therefore embrace a God who says, no, you're perfect. Now just learn to live as if it's true, as best as you're able, by the power of my Spirit, who will lead you down that path. Finally, comfort and joy in the Holy Spirit. Comfort and joy. This is a part of... I think this important part, and it's been a really significant part of my journey, um, is giving myself to this reality that God wants to comfort me in my pain. I think this is extraordinary. I think this sets God (laughs) as he truly is. And it certainly set Jesus apart because he had compassion for the crowds, not like the religious leaders of the day, because he was an expression of the God of all compassion. It's the only answer we have to the sufferings and brokenness of this world, of a God who enters it with us, feels it with us, takes it from us, and weeps over us. I can't get over a God like that. And there are times I catch glimpses of that, and it it melts me. I don't live in that place all the time, but there are times, and there's a joy. that I know sometimes when we come together, we're not exuding it, because it's not a man-made thing. We don't work it up. But it's a fruit of this union. It's a fruit of experiencing this God of all comfort. It's a fruit of the Spirit's work that we have this inexpressible, Peter says, and glorious joy. But you see, I think we enter into that as we embrace the new reality with the help of others, guiding us, reassuring us, encouraging us, comforting us through the ups and downs of life. Yes, we do have a new identity, a new name, a new future. The power of the old has been broken in our lives and we need not yield to those patterns. But it's not guaranteed if we don't lay hold of the new. And there's a tension in that. And I think this is why one of the most powerful things we can do out of our own self-awareness is to enter into the joys and struggles of each other's lives. And that is why Paul says, Romans 12, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Not when you're feeling joyful, but because they're joyful. And their joy will change you. And your joy with them will enhance their joy. And there's some of that mirror neuron thing going on, where we're entering onto a different plane, and we're experiencing a degree of intimate connection that we are created for. And the Lord is in the midst of it. And it's wondrous. And the same is true on the downside, the You know, mourn with those who mourn. Weep with those who weep. Be the comforter as a reflection of the God who has comforted you and who has given you another comforter in the Holy Spirit so that you can experience each other's pain. Who on earth in the world wants to experience your pain? That's the call of Christ to us, to be people of compassion, who see it, feel it, and enter into it. I think it's a part of walking out the new creation. I think this is our call as a community, that we care about not just ourselves and our families and this church, but this wider community. In fact, this country, this nation, this world. But it's rooted first in our Jerusalem, then our Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. That's the way it works. You can't do the ends of the earth if you're not playing at home. Sadly, some do that. 
This is living out this deposit of glory. So let's close with doing, practicing some of this. Don't you love to experience Scripture, not just talk about it? Remember the be doers of the Word, not hearers only. Don't just look in the mirror, see the reality, walk away and forget all about it. So let's just for a few moments, I want you to think about either something that's a joy in your life that you're rejoicing and feel good about, or something that's a sorrow, that, that is a struggle, that is hurtful, that is hard. Those are tend to be the more vulnerable things to talk about. And again, with that person you were talking to earlier, share that just very briefly. You know, don't spend five minutes talking. Just talk and, and connect. Try to connect with the emotion. Make it real. Feel it as you talk about it. The person listening gets to enter into the same emotion. Don't get rational. Don't ask questions. Don't theorize. Just celebrate with. Mourn with. Weep with. Express sadness over if it's a sad thing. Express joy if it's a joyful thing. And then switch. It would be remiss of me if we didn't do this, wouldn't it? Okay, off you go. Take a risk. Okay, how are we all doing? Anyone need a bit more time? Yep. <laughs> those who are finished, be praying for those who are still working this. Look around the room. Think, do you see somebody lays your heart to pray for them? You know, use this time. It's a wonderful thing. This is the body at work. This is who we are. Remember, we're not individuals. We're a body. Thank you, Lord. All right, seems there's a, there's a diminishing of the volume generally. You know, I, I think, you know, when we gather as the body of Christ, if, if somebody comes into our midst, it can be any one of us, and comes with a burden or a joy and leaves and is not really connected with somebody to enter into that space with them. We can, you know, we can be in a, one of these great worship gatherings, but if we don't connect with people and experience something together of this reality of God expressed in our human lives, we can go away so lonely and discouraged. And it's incumbent upon us, I think, to be looking for and be sensitive to. Most of us don't wake up thinking, oh God, who can I weep with today? Who can I get to mourn with? What a great day. There's a sense of a discipline, but it's the Holy Spirit. He's the great comforter. And I believe if you pray and ask, there will be opportunities through your day at work, in the, out in the community. You know, you don't, this isn't a church thing. This is a, a human thing. This is a God thing. That there is pain all around and there's joy. The question is, is there somebody who can lay aside their stuff, be self-aware enough to enter into somebody else's and just experience it with them? It gives tremendous meaning and power to that. The reality of that engagement. And you can get to do that. Ask the Lord to open opportunities. Amen. Well done. Thanks for being good sport.